Well, hello, good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever the world, wherever the world, wherever in the world you are, hopefully wherever in the world you are, you're safe, you're dry. There are no cataclysmic floods or war or illness or fucking things sliding off hills or burning down or exploding, which just seem to be our new reality. So no, my thoughts are with you and your family, and I'm sending y'all love and good vibes. And I must make my apologies. What, how do I want to say this? Moral of the story is I was trying to record in a very acoustically appropriate space, but unfortunately there was someone yelling next door. So the sound leakage wasn't fantastic, but the bad news is, is that this this space is very echoey and my new mic that I got hasn't arrived yet. But here we are. The The good news is I'm currently having a cup of coffee and it is midday. So I am breaking all of the rules and everything that's about to come out of my mouth is likely going to be extra inappropriate and potentially manic. So uh, I'm going to go. <laughs> Go slow, have fun. I'm also using a new platform to record into, so all of the things. Thank you for bearing with me. Thank you for bearing here with me. That's my idea of an intro. If you want an explanation as to the how, what, when, where, why of the Quantum Business Book Club, go listen to the first episode. I explain why I've called it such, the kinds of books I'm going to be talking about, and what I am trying to offer. And I realized as I was putting this one together, I've never actually been a part of a book club, so I am winging it. And this format's going to be really different than my last two. You are welcome. That said, these books are potentially the inspiration for the Quantum Business Book Club. I also read them every year. They're two and them because they're written both by Stephen Pressfield, who is one of my most favorite writers. His style and just his succinct, slightly sarcastic delivery just gets me every time. He is like my writing spirit animal. These two books are all about the creative process, the creative and the creative process. And the first time I read The Artist's Journey, it may have been a Tim Ferriss recommendation. I was still very much working in the creative industries. I think this one was written in the mid-2000s. It wasn't his first nonfiction, but his first kind of like self-help. Amazingly, he's very much known for having one of the most well-read books that all of the military colleges use. He is an ex-Marine. But he talks about how that has absolutely informed his creative process. But he's also known for The Legend of Bagger Vance, which I think was his first best-selling novel. But I refer to him often because he spent 30 years trying to get published, trying to get his first book published. And it's just such a healthy reminder that your vision, creativity, your art, your craft, it takes time. And the reason you get to define yourself as an artist, as a creative, as a professional, as a visionary, as an entrepreneur, a trailblazer, rule breaker, rebel, is because you don't quit as much as you want to. And you may have tried. <laughs> and we're going to get really into that in this one. So I have absolutely quoted The Artist's Journey a thousand times. If you've been talking to me for more than five minutes, I've probably recommended this book to you. But what I find really fun is the follow-up, which was The War of Art. 
And we're going to get into both of them. I almost feel like the artist's journey is like the chaotic, young, nonlinear, creative embrace that the war of art is the logical, the yin, capitalist, colonialist approach to art. And so they interweave beautifully. And one is going to appeal much more to someone really looking for a little bit of nurturing, a little bit of encouragement, and a little bit of grace and understanding, while the other is going to absolutely appeal to those of us who respond good to a little bit of an ass-kicking. And a reality check in terms of what this life, this lifestyle, this calling really shows up like. Because it's, it's not sunshine and roses, my friend, and you know that. But it's also not like death and darkness and gloom. Unfortunately, it falls somewhere right in the middle when you are stepping out a lifelong path of creativity, of art, of entrepreneurship, of leadership, of trailblazing. It's actually kind of boring when you get to that equilibrium of putting one foot in front of the other and just getting it done. So with the one foot in front of the other, I will use that as my segue to the artist's journey, which is essentially Pressfield's take on the hero's journey. And if you're not familiar with Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, you're weird. <laughs> or you're young. Maybe you're really young. Hi, I love you. But it's it's a pretty well-known framework for the trials and tribulations one engages when stepping into the unknown. And whether you're trying to get fit, whether you're starting a business, whether you're creating a new piece of work, whether you're literally creating and having a child, Joseph Campbell suggests that we all go through what is known as the hero's journey. And if you've watched a movie, read a book, uh, you've, I mean, listened to this podcast, you're familiar with the hero's journey. And I'm just going to get in, I'm just going to break it down very quickly for reference and potentially for resonance, because you can probably relate to your entire life as being a hero's journey or any particular, like I said, a new adventure you've embarked upon as a hero's journey. But what really hooked me with the artist's journey is Pressfield suggests that every single thing an artist does is the hero's journey. Joseph Campbell's traditional steps along this path start with ordinary life. This might be a day. This might be a lunch. This might be a sleepless night. It can also be the beginning of every single day. It's quite simply your ordinary life. Step two, we get the call, the call to adventure. But step three, we refuse that call. It's usually pretty subtle, comes out of left field, doesn't make any sense, sounds pretty ridiculous, potentially insane. It's most likely too expensive, too risky, too embarrassing, too hard too unknown. We don't have the skills or resources to do it. So we refuse. But then we meet a mentor, step number four. And this is someone who might give you permission, who might give you the resources, who might give you the skills. This might be someone who falls into your frame of view and gives you that perspective to say, okay, I'm ready to cross the threshold, step number five. This is where we step into the unknown. We then are met with a test with allies, enemies, friends, foes, and trials and tribulations in step six. This is the pause before the leap. Step seven, we take that leap of faith to our death, to reference my last podcast. We approach the innermost cave. This is sometimes referred to as the dark night of the soul the doubt, the crippling fear, the unknown, the no proof, 
all of the things, and Stephen Pressfield talks a lot about this, is just simply the resistance. Step eight is the ordeal. This is where we are forced to choose life or death. There is no going back. And step nine, we receive the reward. The initial, that hit of dopamine, hopamine, <laughs> the, the, I like to call it the universal bump hat, where we think, okay, okay, maybe this is going to work. Then we take the road back. We are fooled at step nine to think we're done. We're here. We're, we've arrived. But step 10 is where we now take these new awareness and lessons and strengths and confidences and skills and knowings that we've gained on steps one through nine. And we start to integrate. We start to normalize. And in step 11, we, it's referred to as the resurrection. This is really the battle of transcendence, where all of these new gains become a part of ourselves. And we are then rebirthed. We are something new, someone new, potentially unrecognizable, a, a completely foreign version. And we are forced to step back into the world as this new entity that feels a little raw, feels a little vulnerable, but also has this mission. And so we have what Joseph Campbell in Step 12 calls the, the return with elixir. So we are self-aware, we are ready to share this wisdom, and we've accepted this is our new role. And that's where Stephen Pressfield starts his discussion on the artist's journey. I'm actually going to read a lot from these books, which, like I said, new format, only because Stephen, I find him to be so eloquent and so powerful. I could never summarize his words effectively. But I highly recommend you go out and get these books. Firstly, they are incredibly quick reads. Both of them are like less than 100 pages. I have them both on Kindle and and physical form. And they are like the amount of earmarks and underlining and highlighting is crazy. They're fun because you can almost use them like if you're familiar with like an Oracle deck where you just kind of like flip to a page. If you need a quick pick me up or a perspective change, I, I feel, I guess, a little weird reading because I'm afraid you'll listen to this and be like, cool, I don't need those books. Quite the contrary, my friend, you desperately need these books. And I'm at the point now where almost every person that I have like more than one conversation with, I, I send to these books because they're just, I don't know, they're just, I do know. That's why I'm doing this whole fucking podcast. They're so powerful, they're transformative, but they're so simple and so easy and so like accessible. Like even if you're not a reader, these are these are good ones to have. So anyway, I wanted to start firstly with Stevens, the way that he described the, art, the artist's journey, which he says comes after the hero's journey. Everything that has happened to us up to this point is a rehearsal for us to act now as our true self and to find and speak in our true voice. The artist's journey is the process of self-discovery that follows. It will last as long as we are alive and maybe longer. I find this book, this book really transformed me because, again, at the time, I was balls deep in creative industries. I was managing international nonprofit. The best way I can think of describing it is almost act like a union for artists' managers. So people trying to run and drive the business of art. And it's so defeating and discouraging and unrewarding that we would often find ourselves talking and using the kind of verbiage that it's like the mafia, you know, the, the, they'll never understand and we're lifers and 
you kind of have to build yourself up to continue to walk this path because it is unrelentless. And it is an emotional journey. It is a journey of both the heart and the mind. That's the challenge of the business of art. And and I I guess I just need to like sidestep, digress here. I consider any, firstly, I consider everybody an artist. But secondly, I consider entrepreneurs, business owners, leaders, artists, because the craft of compelling people to action, of translating passion and vision into a financially viable endeavor is the ultimate form of creativity to me. It is also so unique to each individual. It truly shows up like art. So that's why in my business, in my coaching, in my own leadership, I very I lean very heavily into the artist's perspective because I think it serves so well and it gives a really empowering framework for how to view your day, how to view your strategy, how to view your process and your results and even how to monetize what it is that you're doing. And so back to the point I was trying to make, the business of art, the war of art, as uh, Stephen refers to it as, is an emotional journey. It is a blending of the heart and the mind. But with art, with creativity, with trailblazing, with any type of creative leadership, problem solving, all of it, you have to lead with your heart. And the mind is then what shows up to structure and schedule and plan and measure, so on and so forth. But like, it's not going to feel safe. The work that you're doing, the visions that you have, translating that into like 3D real world work is dangerous as fuck. (laughs) And your mind is going to rally against you. And that's where in the war of art, Stephen jumps, the, the war of art is essentially an exploration of the resistance to your calling. It is the refusal to call step number three in the hero's journey or also in the artist's journey. And it's so fucking subtle and it shows up so rationally and logically like it the resistance makes sense your the artist's journey doesn't it is not a linear path it is spiralic it is chaos and therefore in order to i think be successful you have to be aware and and one of the things Stephen talks about like with his why he thinks like being a marine was such an integral step at his artist's journey and, and this is where the war of art goes very kind of like masculine, yin, colonialist, capitalist, white, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's it's more of the ass kicking where he says like Marines are taught how to enjoy being miserable. And I think we can often underestimate the torture of the mundane. And the artist's journey, the war of art, it is about embracing it all. The good and the bad, the better and the worse the beautiful and the ugly. And like, it's this interweaving of your heart and mind. Your mind is going to like rally against you almost the whole time. So how can you embrace it all? And the first step is just recognizing that, that the calling, the seed, the beginning, the inception, that, that idea that you've plucked out of the ether and it's not letting you quit. It's, refusing to refuse your refusal. (laughs) So one of the things that Pressfield talks about is how do you know? How do you know when this idea is worth pursuing? And the thing is, you don't. 
So I'm going to quote him again. And this is this is from the artist's journey. I know I'm jumping back and forth. Bear with me or just have fun with me. This subject materialized on its own and he lists out everything he's ever written. And it's so varied from historical fiction about the Amazons and Sparta to the legend of Bagger Vance, the golf book, <laughs> to the warrior ethos, which is the book that he wrote that is, I think, uh, required reading for almost every uh, university level military education to nobody wants to read your shit, you know, some self-help, how to creative books. There was no plan on my part, no conscious decision, no moment of inflection. The subject was an absolute surprise to me. It revealed itself book by book, year by year, obsession by obsession. I had no choice as an artist except to follow the subject and serve it as it revealed itself over time. I've talked a lot about this when I left the music industry. It was really hard for me to like listen to music and watch music documentaries, which were like the only two things that I did prior to that. Because with 2020 hindsight, it all makes sense. You know, I would watch these older, incredibly well-known living room name artists talk about some of their albums and they, they give it so much reverence and meaning and context. But I watched those artists get written or those albums get written and like, they're not done initially with a whole lot of the same level of meaning that you're then able to attribute after the fact. It was hard for me because that like the way that Pressfield recognizes it is it's an, your art is an evolution. It unfolds. And with hindsight, yeah, absolutely. You have a body of work. You have a discography. You have 15 books that have changed people's lives but like that first book that first article the first podcast episode the first song it might not ever get witnessed that doesn't mean it's not worth pursuing and stepping out and it's when that resistance shows up and he talks about this in the war of art so i'm going to flip to that book the resistance is forever resistance is implacable intractable indefatigable it is a single cell, and that cell will continue to attack. Through its malevolence, resistance, in fact, operates with indifference. And we must marshal our forces to combat resistance. We must remember this. Resistance only shows up when the calling is so strong. And we feed resistance with our fear of it. And it obstructs movement only from a lower sphere to a higher. It kicks in when we seek to pursue. And so what Stephen's talking about there is that you've got a green light go to get the nine to five job. He, he uses a specific example, like if you're working in an ashram in India and you're like, OK, it's time. It's time to get back to the real world. I'm going to move home. I'm going to get a job at a bank. There will be no resistance, my friend. <laughs> you will get the red velvet rope removed. It's when you're stepping up. It's when you're stepping out. It's when you're creating something new. It's when you're scaring the shit out of yourself. That is when the resistance shows up, my friend. And I talk a lot about this with my clients. It's not about how do I overcome resistance? And that's what Stephen was talking about. It is indefatigable. It is intractable. It is in, that was, I didn't even know how to pronounce that word, implacable. In term, like you can't placate it. It will always be there. So it's not about how do I overcome this? How do I beat this? How do I lick this? It's about how do I recognize resistance for what it is so that I can set it aside and continue moving forward. 
The symptoms of resistance, the most popular, which we are all well too familiar with, is procrastination. Not that I'm never going to write my symphony, as Stephen says. Instead, I'm going to write my symphony tomorrow. (laughs) It shows up like sex. And not just sex like physical sex, but anything that gives you that dopamine hit. Social media, internet, shopping, consumption, TV, gossip, alcohol, drugs, even food, fat, sugar, salt, chocolate. Chocolate might be my resistance. (laughs) But anything that draws attention to ourselves through pain-free or artificial means is a manifestation of resistance. Getting into too much trouble, dramatizing both your own situation or that of the world, self-medication, victimhood, even the choice of a mate, someone who doesn't support you or encourage you in your artist's journey. He talks about, I thought, I actually thought this little insight was, was worth sharing because he talks about writing this particular book, The War of Art. And this wasn't his first self-help book, for lack of a better term. And it wasn't his first nonfiction. But he said, when I first began this book, Resistance Almost Beat Me, it told me that I was a writer of fiction, not nonfiction, and that I shouldn't be exposing these concepts of resistance literally or, or overtly. Rather, I should incorporate them metaphorically into a novel. That's a pretty damn subtle and convincing argument. I talk a lot about that as well, that as you grow in your success, your resistance becomes subtle, sexy. It sounds supportive. In my own work that I've been doing over the last couple months and really holding myself accountable, writing down every point of resistance and the the voices in my head that come along with it, what I thought were the supportive voices was actually just my resistance. It was like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Of course you need to sleep more. You only got five hours of sleep last night. That's not going to lead you being productive. Maybe, maybe I can just take a fucking nap. You don't need to work out today. You worked out so hard yesterday. Give your body a rest. But it's movement that creates the physical space for this creation process, for my energy, for my ideas. So get to know your resistance and be aware it will transform. It will show up as the most rational advisor. (laughs) It is not your mentor, right? It is the trickster. He goes on to say, resistance also told me I shouldn't seek to instruct or put myself forward as a purveyor of wisdom. This was vain egotistical, possibly even corrupt, and that it would work to harm me in the end. That scared me. It made a lot of sense. What finally convinced me to go ahead was simply that I was so unhappy not going ahead. I was developing symptoms. And as soon as I sat down and began, I was okay. He talks about, at one point, he was fired from a job. His marriage was on the brink. And he, he threw the towel in. He moved back to New York to try and get a job. He was driving cabs in his search for employment, living in a super shitty, disheveled apartment. And he hadn't taken care of himself. He hadn't cleaned up. And he was so fucking miserable that he got up to start doing the dishes. And he realized with each dish that was cleaned that he had turned, he was turning the corner. And when he finished the dishes, he pulled out his typewriter that was a thing for any of you young ends listening. <laughs> You'd manually push buttons and visibly see ink on a stamp on a piece of paper. <laughs> but he pulled out his typewriter and for two hours he sat there and whatever he wrote, it didn't matter. 
I went directly into the bin. And he wrote. And he knew from that point on he would be okay. So resistance shows up like unhappiness, bored, boredom, restlessness. Nothing's, nothing's really hitting the mark anymore. It devolves into self-criticism, social anxiety, self-hate, to the point where we feel like we can't really go on. He talks about if you find yourself being overly critical of yourself, of others, if you're terrified, you're experiencing resistance. And it's, again, it's not good, bad, right, wrong, or impossible, attractable. It's just simply recognizing, oh, here we are. Here we are again. And like, the more you want this thing, the bigger the dream, the more ridiculous it sounds, the more scared you are to tell other people about it or admit to yourself this is what you want. Like, that's that's all actually indicative of how powerful what you're trying to create will be. And the second you start taking any action towards it whatsoever, the floodgates of opportunity, of positivity, of energy will open. But the thing is, there's a huge difference between what Stephen calls the amateur and the professional. The amateur stays in that state of resistance, over-dramatizing their work, over-dramatizing the, the inception of the hero's journey, the spiritual nature of it, the magic of ideas and of creation, that feeling that you get when you're in that flow, when you're really creating what it is that you know you're supposed to be doing. The pro detaches themselves from the emotional roller coaster that is the artist's journey. And if you think about what, how do, like, how do you define professional, right? What makes someone a professional? They show up to work. They show up no matter what. They, they work, you know, their scheduled hours. They are committed to working. Like they perceive themselves as someone who will be working for the foreseeable future. They are playing a big game. Like the stakes, he says, the stakes for us are high and real. This is about survival, feeding our families, educating our children. It is about eating. They get paid. They do not over-identify with their job. You know, the real pros, the real workers, they're not out there talking about all the shit they do all the time. They're too busy fucking doing it. They become masters of their unique approach, their technique and their work. They even have a sense of humor. Maybe it's a sense of deference, but they don't take it too seriously. And they both succeed and fail. And failure really is the crux. I always think about this in terms of relationships. I don't know that I have like a really good relationship with somebody until I've gotten into a fight with them. Like until we're able to kind of cross that threshold of like emotional disagreement or pain and hurt and exchange information and emotion around that and get on the other side of it. It's like, you know, otherwise you're just kind of like one of my party friends who I like to have fun with, but I don't, I don't really know, like, do we gel? Can we agree to disagree on things? It's the same thing with your work. Like that resistance will show up as a creative block, as, as throwing the baton on the ground, as turning on your heel and walking away from your work. And he shares in the War of Art a ton of stories of some of the most successful people you know who walked away. 
or who definitely didn't take it too seriously. He uses um, examples of Bob Dylan and Sean Lennon. And when interviewing them, they were often asked about kind of like what I was talking about earlier, like what inspires you to write this song? And in their youth, in the moment, in the creative process, they almost like shove the question aside, like this is dumb and this is a boring line of inquiry because they don't want to indulge the reverence of the true devotion that they are engaging in their work with. And we'll, we'll get, we're going to get into that. So like, how do you know you're a professional? Like, you actually are creating for you. And I think with the amateur, and I don't mean if you're hearing it, like I'm not judging you or your work. I can relate to both of these and, and not just like I was an amateur then and I'm a pro now. There's so much that I do. The first 10 episodes of this podcast were amateur as fuck. I was trying to make episodes that I thought you wanted to hear, that I thought would help you, that were based on what I thought would be transformative in your lives and in your in your business and how you work. And I was making the podcast for me, but you know, that content has transformed. And so knowing that he, he kind of talks about it as being hierarchical or territorial. Hierarchical being recognizing like there's levels and you're you're aiming to serve a particular level and that's sort of external to you. Territorial is like, this is my shit. This is my jam. This is my magic. This is what I do. This is what I'm known for. This is my small little kingdom that I am the ruler of and serving that experience. And lastly, just to cut like lastly in terms of the war of art, because I think, I don't know, it's interesting because the War of Art was written after the artist's journey, but it almost feels like in the artist's journey, Stephen is embracing the spiritual nature of creativity. And then he almost has to like make like a balancing offering because in that chaotic, nurturing, creative, messy place, there is a shitload of discipline, of devotion, of structure, of what he calls worshiping the mundane. And so it's almost like if he had just left it at the artist's journey, it would almost have been to what he says is a point of resistance, too romantic of a notion. And the reality is, is it's just like showing the fuck up every day. And that's why he kind of gets into like, what's the difference between an amateur or a pro? And how do you create that structure in your art and in your and in your work? And he said, you know, we can get so caught up with the metrics just based on our own cultural and personal interpretations of what success is. But the reality is we have no right to the end result of our work. Our right is the work, is showing up every day and doing the damn thing, how it's received, how it's interpreted, how it's much it's is paid for it. That's really not up to us as the creator. And he uses this last example, which I, I don't know, it really got me. I hope you enjoy it. When Krishna instructed Arjuna that we have a right to our labor, but not to the fruits of our labor, he was counseling the warrior to act territorially, not hierarchically. We must do our work for its own sake, not for the fortune or attention or applause. He goes on to list several more examples of how to think about the work as just that, your art as this journey. It is the actual movement, the, the daily steps, the action that define your success. That is how we can show up devotionally to our creation. 
And he talks about some of his own rituals. I actually did a little podcast, workshop, live. <laughs> I'm getting like, so I don't know where my content's going anymore. It's, it's not about the end result. It's not about the financial reward. It's not about the reward at all. It's literally just showing up. And if you're feeling pissed off, unclear, lost, defeated, disenfranchised, marginalized, unappreciated, unvalued, that's all external to you. Show up and do the work. Pull out your fucking laptop. Get out your paints. Go out into the world. Take notes. Sketch something. Have a conversation with somebody purely about creation. Be in service to the idea. If that helps you think about it, you're working for the idea. Or be in service to you. You're working for you. Or be in service to simply your day. A lot of creatives, a lot of really successful people, depending on which end of the spectrum you're on, will talk about their devotion to the mundane. And so Stephen talks about his little ritual that he has before he goes and sits down and write. And as someone who presents like you show up every day and you work until you're done and it's you work until you're dead, he only writes a couple hours a day. He says he he gets the important work done, which is the like life admin. Having a coffee. I don't know how many times he's been married, but I think it's a lot. And I think with his current person who may or may not be a married married spouse, you know, he gives them some attention, pays the bills, does his chores around the house, does his chores outside of the house. And then he says his his prayer, as he calls it, to the creative muse. And then he puts on his lucky pants, his lucky belt, his lucky shirt, his lucky jacket, his lucky hat. <laughs> All of these different artifacts he's collected along the way that has, he has imbued with his his superstitious luck and magic. And then he sits down to write and he says it takes him about a half hour to an hour to get into it. And then he's on it. And the second he starts making typos or having to self-edit, he realizes he's it's done. Sometimes he gets two hours. Sometimes he's able to squeeze four or five hours. And that's it. The muse is now left. And then he can get into the rest of his day. But it is the same every day. You know, then you hear people like Steve Jobs who didn't even bother with like different outfits or different food or different commutes. <laughs> like they literally roboticize, like they create an incredibly replicable template in their day. So the only decisions and thought processes that happen are those that are creative and transformative and disruptive in terms of how they think about reality. It is a very different way of living. And this is that threshold. Actually, I wouldn't even say the threshold. This is just my interpretation. But this is like the 12th step of the hero's journey. You return renewed, anew, resurrected, rebirthed. And this isn't going to be a safe life. In fact, it will appear to be batshit crazy to a lot of people who have yet to embark on their own hero's journey. You have graduated. It is time to say, I am committed to this life of uncertainty, of unknown, of trailblazing, of rule breaking, of rebel rebellion. And in doing that, I, I step into my whole self, my true self, and my heart leads. And it's fucking terrifying. It's by recognizing those seeds, those ideas that just simply won't go away. And as you start to indulge them and choose them over the safe path, you get more. You get another breadcrumb to keep following. 
the path starts to become clearer. You become more confident as you walk down it. But don't ever think that the trials and the tribulations, the friends and the foes, the enemies, the tests, even the allies, they, they never stop. That resistance will always be there. But the resistance is internal. It shows up like self-doubt, like arrogance, impatience, the inability to defer gratification, the predisposition to distraction, shallowness of thought and purpose, conventionality, insularity, the need to cling to the known. And I quoted directly. Hope that was obvious. The good news is, is the strengths are also internal. You overcome your resistance with courage, with honesty, particularly with yourself, with confidence, with humility, with compassion, both for yourself and others, with the ability to receive criticism objectively, with patience. That's patience is probably one of my biggest points of resistance. Being curious, open-minded, and receptive to the new. The ability to focus, to defer gratification with will, mental toughness, and the capacity to endure adversity, injustice, and indifference. When you can start to appreciate and find joy in your moments of resistance, in those explosions and implosions and what appear to be intractable challenges and problems, that's when you step into, I think, this daily approach. When you truly embrace the artist's journey in everything that you do. The artist's journey is a journey of dreams, says Pressfield. Truth is not the truth. Fiction is the truth. The artist's medium is not reality, but dreams. And not dreams in the sense of made-up bullshit, still quoting directly. Dreams is the x-ray of truth. Truth seen through and seen for what it really is. Truth boiled down to its essence. Create what you know. That is the devotional practice. So be gentle, but be firm. It's like parenting. When you have these ideas, I would often, when I was in running my record label, I, I realized that every song, every album was somebody's baby. They were giving me their newborn baby and saying, take this incredibly raw, incredibly vulnerable, incredibly precious and valuable piece of creation into the world and let it go. And my job I, initially, I thought, was to raise that baby. But really, it was to support the parent at their release. And it's terrifying. It, there are words to describe what that experience is like. But the more you do it, the more familiar you become with it, the more practiced you become with it, the more compassionate you become with it. And you realize it is a practice. It is something that you do over and over again. And you get better and stronger at it with less expectation around the outcome. You cannot miss what is meant for you, but if you don't have what you want yet, why not? And if your answer to that question is because they aren't supporting you, they don't get you, they don't value you, you don't have the resources, you don't have the know-how, you don't have the support, dot, dot, that's all external shit. That, my friend, is resistance. And the most empowering question I've certainly been asking myself recently was why don't I want it? What am I afraid of? What am I resisting? When I get clear around that, I get what I want. Something I thought was really cool about the artist's journey as well is Pressfield gets into 
some of, again, the most well-known creators of not just our time, but a long time. And offers their discography, offers their body of work, offers the books that they've written or the songs that they've written. And if you were to look at the first three, it might feel like completely all over the shop, like throwing spaghetti at the wall. But when you look at a lifetime's worth of work, you know, you see the lilies, you see the blue period, you see a genre, you see an expertise. And he says the artist mines the same vein over and over. He just digs deeper over time. And I kind of love that because, again, it, it helps me like reel in that concept of we cannot miss what we are supposed to have. We just might not be ready. And, and, and for me personally, I have experienced the ill preparedness as avoidance, as resistance, as blocking myself, getting in my own way. And when I own that and I flip it as into like, well, why am I doing that? Why don't I want this thing? That has revealed a lot. As you step into your professional approach, as you start to worship the mundane, you create that discipline, you understand this isn't going away. This is going to be my life and my work. It stops being about passion. And, and Pressfield is really great at delineating between like, it, you have to love it, obviously. You have to love what you do because otherwise like this doesn't, this actually doesn't make any fucking sense. And it is batshit crazy to, to step out the artist's journey because it is torturous. <laughs> like, Going to work all day, every day, not knowing if you're ever going to be rewarded for it makes zero fucking sense. But when you can delineate like the passion for your work versus I have to love every second of this, you take like that kind of expectation out of it. It just simply becomes what you do. So the torture, the failure, the doubt, it's not going anywhere, unfortunately. Like spoiler alert. It actually just gets scarier, harder, and more painful because you start playing a much bigger game. And to sum it all up, and this is the part that kind of gives me goosebumps, the artist is a force of unity. Her role is to bring together upon the common ground of the imagination, the disparate, and often warring factions of the mortal psyche and the human race. Your work, this thing that won't let you sleep at night, your ideas, you are art. You are a force of unity. You are interweaving heart and mind, dreams and reality, the disparate of often warring factions. My friend, if you want to be the change you want to see in this world, if you want to transform this world into the potential utopia you fantasize about, do your goddamn work. <laughs> Show the fuck up. The artist does that. The gulf of separation has been bridged, at least for the moment, by one tiny increment. What has replaced it is the power of empathy, of compassion, of identification with the other. The artist does that. And you do that simply by recognizing the mundane in the work, by concentrating on the mundane, that the mysterious flow of creativity can be primed like a pump physically and emotionally, planting yourself in the physical space where you want that energy to flow. Woo! Get these books. Embark on your hero's journey. Recognize everything you do as the artist's journey. And don't ever underestimate the war of art. This will be a battle you get to fight for the rest of your days. And by simply showing up, you win. You cannot be beaten 
You cannot fail in the grand scheme of things. And that doubt, that insecurity, imposter syndrome, the people who are telling you you can't, the massive fucking failures, the hundreds of thousands of dollars of mistakes or debt or shoulda, woulda, couldas, even the shoulda, woulda, couldas, that is your resistance. The wondering why it took you so long to get to this place, that is your resistance. And I wish I could say just let it go, but it's not going anywhere. You are. And that's what it's about. It's about learning to, how to recognize this resistance so it doesn't get in your fucking way. Okay. You can find me on, wouldn't it be great if my transitions were like smooth? They're not. I'm like, okay, hi, we're getting into this. Getting into it. Okay, we're done. Bye. <laughs> if you call me on the phone, I also won't say hello or goodbye. I am on the socials at the BZ channel. Instagram is currently my main drag, but who knows? I am open to other platforms. I'm going to be really getting into the YouTube channel as well. And going live on there, I've got workshops rolling out the first week of every month. The schedule is available on my newsletter, The Loop. So you can sign up for that on my website. Ooh, I'm going to be doing a new website. Thanks to Scott McCormick at McCormick Photos and Design. Check him out. This episode is being edited by Shannon Kuehl. I kind of just want to start calling her Kuehl. For all of my eyes in there, you'll know why. She is my online business manager and podcast editor. So if any of these podcasts sound crappy, it's definitely Shannon's fault. Absolutely not mine. I am, yeah, so The Loop, the newsletter, the BZ channel, the socials, the website, NicoleBZ.com. I recorded this in March of 2022, and I've got a lot of travel book, a lot of work, working holidays. I am currently open for one-to-one, -one, but based on the amount of people on my calendar in the next couple of weeks, I'm not sure how much that availability will last. But the anti-business school will be opening its doors again in May. So you have every opportunity to work with me. There's so much free content online. And eventually the container, the Discord community will get up and going and my lives will shift. My workshops and everything is going to kind of shift into being hosted there. I think you're fully up to date. If you are still listening, I love you. Thank you. Give me a thumbs up or a like or a whatever, a star, whatever platform you're on. If you think other people are reviewing it, I don't think I have any reviews yet. So, you know, be the change. <laughs> and uh, thank you. You mean everything to me. I make this for me, but with the hopes that it absolutely impacts and supports you. So let me know. Email me. Hello at NicoleBZ.com. I will absolutely answer your questions in future episodes. Who knows? I've, I've made entire episodes based on people's questions. So that's, that's all I got for now. Bye.